This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 9, looking at verses 1 through 57, the chapter, so pretty good, good sized text this evening, but unified in that it's all about Abimelech. Judges chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, hear the word of God. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and flesh. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him seventy pieces of silver out of the house of Baal-berith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together in all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem. God may listen to you. Trees once went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? The tree said to the fig tree, You, come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You, come and reign over us. The vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you've risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant king over the leaders of Shechem because he's your relative, if... You then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day. Then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. 
But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech and their brother who killed them and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops and they robbed all who passed by them along that way. And it was told to Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them, held a festival. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam, and is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve the, him? Would that this people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. When Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Abed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Abed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they're stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem and four companies. And Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city, and Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. Gael spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gael went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aramah, and Zebul drove out Gael and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elbereth. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him, 
And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. He said to the men who were with him, What have you seen me do? What you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold. And they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women and all the leaders in the city fled to it and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. A certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. And he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me, A woman killed him. His young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his seventy brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that as we study this passage tonight, that you would guide us in right understanding of it to learn those things you would have us to learn. Father, we acknowledge this is your word, and so we... uh, Submit to it and pray, Father, that you would teach us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Any nation has to be concerned about destruction from without, attacks from outsiders, but it's also possible that a nation can be destroyed from within. I see this, uh, this principle not just in nations, you see it on a much more individual level. Uh, for example, a car. Uh, that real danger to a car is some other vehicle will hit it. But another danger to a car is that the thing might catch fire from within. Perhaps you've seen on the side of the road or at least heard on the radio reports of, you know, car burning somewhere on the side of the road. Those things happen. Well, as we look at what's going on in Israel here, the chief threat to the nation is not some outside nation at this point. It is its own corruption and decay from within. And this is very well illustrated in this whole sordid tale of Abimelech. Been a little bit of a foreshadowing that took place last time we looked at Judges back in chapter 8. We have kind of the summary of of Gideon or Jeroboam uh, as he uh, heads into the twilight of his life. We read in verse 30 of chapter 8, he had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And then 31, his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son. And he called his name Abimelech, uh, which means my father is the king. And Gideon died. And we read of the uh, apostasy that ensued in verse 33. And 34 and 35 set the stage for what we just read in chapter 9. The people of Israel didn't remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side, and they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jeroboam, that is, Gideon, in return for all the good he had done to Israel. So there's this, this double blow of ingratitude. On the one hand, not showing gratitude to the Lord, who, of course, is the one who delivered them. 
or even really expressing any kind of gratitude for Gideon and for his family, for what Gideon had done for Israel. That really serves then to set the stage for what comes in this chapter that we've just read. In verse 1 through 6, we read of this act of treachery, an act of opportunity. Abimelech was nothing if not an opportunist. Uh, that, that turns into violent, bloody treachery against his own family in his hunger for power. Verses 1 and 2, this question that he puts to his own family in Shechem. He goes to his mother's relatives. His mother was the servant, the concubine of Gideon. If Gideon had only been satisfied with his numerous wives, this wouldn't maybe not have happened, but here we are. But he goes into his, to his mother's family and he says, say in all the ears of the leaders of Shechem, which is better, to have 70 rulers or to have one ruler? And, oh yeah, remember, we're related to each other. And his family's persuaded and they go in uh, verse 3 to the, to the leaders of Shechem. And as the leaders of Shechem listen to the family of Abimelech, they, they, they're inclined to agree. You know, after all, uh, he's our brother. We're related to him. One commentator makes the comment, this just goes to show that uh, blood is thicker than brains. He's our brother. Good, good enough reason. Sure, why not? And even worse, they provide him money out of this Baal Bereith, the house of Baal Bereith, which actually, uh, in that term, there may be some implication uh, that they themselves were responsible for setting up this, this idolatrous shrine, and they took some of the money that comes into this shrine, this house of Baal Berith, and they give it to Abimelech so he can go hire hitmen, uh, described here as worthless and reckless fellows who follow him. And he proceeds back to Ophrah, which would have been about 28 miles north, about a day's journey, making good time, maybe two days' journey. Uh, to the north, and he returns and proceeds to slaughter his half-brothers. It says, interestingly, on one stone. Why does it say that? Well, that may imply that he did this one man at a time. You know, one stone, maybe not that big, just big enough for an offering. Uh, it may have been that this was a very malicious, calculated execution of his half-brothers, one man, at a time on that one stone, and of course had the help uh, of these uh, these no goods, these thugs that he had hired to do this. However, one escaped. Jotham hit himself, so actually it was only 69, presumably, who were killed. Uh, this other man escaped, and so there's this. It all starts with this this violent, this repulsive act of betrayal, this act of treachery on Abimelech's part, which immediately paints the picture of his character. You know, all that happens after this really isn't a surprise because immediately we realize that this guy is just scary. So there's this question he asks in his rise to power. The leaders, verse 6, came to Shechem and Beth Milo, and they went and made him king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Now remember, there was some question about whether Gideon was, in effect, functioning as a king. They either wanted him to. Let you and your sons rule over us. Um, this is totally apart from any sanction of the Lord. Uh, this part of Israel goes and makes Abimelech king. Well, then we come to this parable of Jotham. Jotham goes up and stand, stands on Mount, on, uh, Mount Gerizim. 
Now, you've heard that name before. What is significant about Mount Gerizim? Curses? But it wasn't the curses from Gerizim. It was the blessings. Yeah, remember Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim when Israel makes their covenant with the Lord. Some of them stand on on Ebal, Mount Ebal to the north. Some stand on Mount Gerizim to the south. And they declare in Deuteronomy those curses and blessings uh, somewhat antiphonally, kind of like we did with the reading this morning. Some of Israel here, some here, kind of this valley, natural amphitheater in the middle. And uh, the blessings were pronounced from Mount Gerizim. So it's ironic that a curse is pronounced from there on Israel and its apostasy. And then the curses for, for disobedience were pronounced from Mount Ebal. Right there in the middle, between those two hills, was the town of Shechem. And it may have been while this, this process was taking place of making Abimelech king, that Jotham, who has escaped and is up on Mount Gerizim, and therefore in a position in the contours of the land down in the valley to be heard, he probably wasn't that much higher up, but just far away enough, uh, far enough away for safety, but close enough to be heard, begins to call out this parable. And you can just see people hear this voice, you know, up in the hill, they're looking to see who it is. And he tells this parable about the trees. The trees go out to anoint a king, and they, they ask, first of all, the olive tree. And the olive tree is sort of taken aback. Why? The olive tree says, should I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway or just hold, go sway over the trees? The olive tree, of course, olive oil that you're well familiar with, if you know the Bible at all, it was one of the most uh, varied of products in its use, the different things it could be used for. It could be used uh, for light, to burn a lamp. It could be used for medicinal purposes. It was used to anoint kings. It's had multiple uses, and the olive tree sort of taken aback. Why should I give up producing this, this abundant oil and useful oil to just go sway over the trees? So they go to the fig tree, and the fig tree's reaction is much the same. Leave my sweetness and my good, just good fruit, just to go sway over the trees. And uh, so the fig tree turns them down as well, and they go to the vine. And the vine says, no, you know, I produce this wine that pleases God and men, and should I leave that and go hold sway over the trees? Three beneficial, useful, helpful trees, good trees, refuse to take the job. So they go to some thorn bush, a shrub, a bramble. You come and reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, well, if in good faith you want to do this, then come and take refuge in my shade. Irony, a bramble has no shade. It's all thorns and stickers, you know. It's, there's not much to it. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So that was the parable he told. Then he proceeds to apply it. Uh, he, he goes on as if, as if this were hypothetical. If you acted in good faith and integrity and did right by the house of Gideon, Jeroboam, and then he proceeds to say, you know, oh yeah, I remember my father who risked his life, fought for you, delivered you from Midian, and now you've slaughtered all his sons, and then made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, to put it nicely, uh, your king. Well, if you acted in good faith, well, he just answered his own hypothetical. Of course they didn't. He knows they didn't. But that's not the point. Uh, the point is the curse. If not, verse 20, then let fire come out from him. And let fire come out from you, and you both just devour each other. You deserve each other, in effect, is, is, is what he's saying. That's the curse. That's the application of it, ironically delivered from the Mount of Blessing, 
Mount Gerizim. So this pointed parable, its application, the details. And then the rest of the chapter is the fulfillment of that curse as things just go from bad to worse. And by the way, right in the middle of the chapter, we get the statement in verse 22, Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. And then we have one of those omniscient narrator statements that that the people involved could not know this. We are told this. The narrator tells us this. But we otherwise, if we were living in it, would not have known this and would not have known it if not told. Verse 23, God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. God sent an evil spirit. When I, when I hear that, it reminds me of another instance where there's something said to that effect. And that's over in 1 Kings 22. 1 Kings 22, uh, verse 22, where you have this this prophecy that's made or or information given to the king, to to Ahab. And how are they going to, what's going to happen to Ahab? Verse 20, the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? One said one thing, one said another. A spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. The Lord said, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do it. Now, therefore, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. I'll leave that for you later this evening to ponder the Lord putting a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. But for now, it just says the God sent an evil spirit between them. Now, you can take that in a high sense or a low sense. You could say that God sent a spirit to do evil in, in, in instigating all of this, but I tend to take it in a lower sense. It's, it's sort of just saying God put bad blood between them. God caused the relationship to sour. Uh, he made it just go bad. There was, he'd been ruling for three years and the whole thing just soured. But God is at work. We're told that right in the middle. Not to see this just as the playing out of human affairs, but but God working out his purposes and actually to fulfill the curse of Jotham and avenge the blood of the the house of Jeroboam or Gideon. Verse 24 says that, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them. On the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers by providing the money to hire the thugs that he had. And so immediately things are starting to go bad. The leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him, uh, Abimelech, on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them on that way. And it was told to Abimelech, well, what kind of king can't keep the roads open? Suddenly there, there are highwaymen, there are robbers out there, and this is a problem for Abimelech. It makes him look bad as the king, makes him look bad as the leader. And not only that, then you have uh, this, this rebellion that begins to develop, led by Gael, uh, uh, the son of Ebed. And it says that they got, that, that some of the, uh, he moved to Shechem, came to town, and the leaders began to like this guy, Gail. Uh, began to follow him, be inclined toward him, became confident in him. Well, they have the grape harvest, and they trot out the grapes, and of course you're treading out the grapes, you have to have a festival, which is what they do. They went to the house of their god, and ate and drank. And no doubt fortified a little bit by the grapes, Gale begins to badmouth Abimelech. 
Who is this Abimelech? Who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam? Is not Zebel his officer? Apparently a, a, a henchman there in Shechem of Jeroboam. So they, they get to talking uh, pretty big here. Start running down the king. Uh, well, and, and Gael even says, well, you know, then I'd remove Abimelech. You know, I'd say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. I'd, I'd take him on. You know, if this people were only under my hand, things would be better. You'd go down the road without getting held up. Does that remind you of, by the way? Is a way of subverting the current order. Does that sound familiar? Remember Absalom? Absalom would greet people coming into the cities and basically say, what's your complaints? And they would say, so, well, you know, if I were king, I would appoint people to address your problems. That's what I would do. If, if I were king, that's what I would do. And that's how Absalom's revolt against David began. He began to get people on his side. Well, that's exactly the kind of thing Gail is doing here. Would that this people were under my hand? I'd get rid of Abimelech. You know, things would be good. I'd take him on. However, you don't go talking about the king in open, in the open, without a little bird hearing what you're saying, and that's exactly what happens. Zebel, the ruler of the city, who's in league with uh, Abimelech, heard what he was saying. So he sends message to Abimelech, saying, Behold, Gael, son of Ebed, his relatives have come, and they're stirring up the city against you. So you need to go uh, get some guys together and uh, set an ambush against this city. Now what happens next is almost comical. Uh, verse 24, Abimelech does just that. They come out at night against Shechem. Uh, and Gael, he goes out and stands there, and uh, Zebel's with him. Uh, and he saw the people. He says, look, you know, it looks like people are coming down from the mountaintops all around. And Zebel says, ah, you're just seeing things. There's nothing out there. Just the shadows playing tricks with you. You can tell see Gail squint. You know, you're looking, no, those look, those look a lot like people coming our way. Well, then Zebel, uh, lets him have it, uh, in, in, in verse 38. Where is your mouth now? You said, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Kind of got the sense he'd been working on this speech, you know, all night. Uh, just couldn't wait to deliver his, his treachery. Go out now and fight with him. And that's exactly what happens. And Gale is defeated, uh, he's driven out, couldn't live at Shechem anymore. So all this big talk comes to nothing. But that wasn't enough for Abimelech. Instead, the next day, when the people leave the city to go out and farm their fields, he has an ambush for them, and he slaughters them. And he winds up going right up to the city, gets into the city, takes the city, slaughters the inhabitants of the city. The leaders all flee to this fortress or this stronghold, uh, described as the Tower of Shechem. And Abimelech goes, they, uh, they all go out and cut down a bundle of brushwood, brambles. He took it up and he tells everybody else what you saw me do too. So they bring all their wood, they set it against the stronghold and they set fire to it. And the fire and the smoke combined kill the thousand men and women who've taken refuge in the, uh, in the tower. So far, one half of the curse has been fulfilled. Fire has gone out from the Bramble King and, and burnt up Shechem. Well, what about Abimelech? Well, Abimelech went to Thebes and he camped against Thebes and captured it. And once again, there's a strong tower and they all flee into the tower and shut themselves in, go up to the roof. And Abimelech thought, well, you know, fire worked last time. Perhaps fire will work this time. And that's exactly what happens. He starts to set a fire, but there's a problem. 
Apparently, in all those who took refuge in the city, one woman took her millstone with her because, well, you just never know. And she had it. And she looks down and sees Abimelech, and she drops the millstone. And this heavy thing comes down and hits the guy in the head. He's lying on the ground. Uh, has just enough of his sense about him to call to the young man, his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me. Because if you don't, they're going to say, a woman killed him. And that was the lowest ignominy that he could have suffered. You know, to have it forever said, well, you know, a woman killed him. He couldn't have that. So his uh, armor bearer ran him through with the sword, and his armor bearer killed him at his own request. But we all know, really, it was the woman who did it. And when the men of Israel saw he was dead, they all departed to their home. And this whole thing kind of settled down. Now that the fire had come out from the Bramble King and destroyed uh, Shechem, fire has come out of Shechem with a little help from the city of Thebes and the woman with her millstone and destroyed the Bramble. It's destroyed Abimelech. And then the last couple of verses are just sort of a summary, just kind of an epilogue. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. Again, just that reminder that these things weren't just happening uh, by coincidence, but God was at work bringing all of this about. Now, I want to finish with just a few observations about this, uh, observations which in their general form I'm indebted to Ralph Davis for, because I think they're some really good and not necessarily immediately obvious, but uh, kind of some helpful ways of, of understanding what's happening here in a little broader context. Uh, he comments on how this judgment of God is quiet. Now, you may not think a fire burning up a tower is, is quiet, but his point is that it's not, you know, it's not the, 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 the fire and brimstone falling on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not a spectacular event of judgment. It's not like the flood uh, and that sort of thing. It just was happening bit by bit, piece by piece, as, as each day, each month unfolded, these things were happening to bring about this judgment. It's just pointing out that sometimes God's judgment, uh, and certainly other things God does, but his judgment as well, may proceed so gradually as to be somewhat difficult to perceive. We may not even see it at the time. But looking back, seeing that God is at work, it sort of ties in a little bit with what we're going to look at next week in Romans 1, uh, in God's judgment on sin. But here, too, it is, it's sort of quiet. It's gradual as these things happen. And only looking back do you really see that that parable uh, was fulfilled, that curse. It also, of course, is, is fairly ironic, this judgment of God. is fairly ironic in that Abimelech destroys Shechem. And Shechem destroys Abimelech, again, along with the other city of Thebes. Uh, evil devouring itself. Evil turned against itself. Uh, or sort of as an expression of, I heard recently, a circular firing squad. Uh, in a sense, their own evil, their own conspiring, their own wickedness turned against each other and destroyed each other. Uh, and it's not the, the last time that that would happen. Uh, in fact, you come to Revelation 17, verses 16 and 17, we read, The ten horns you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They'll make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and 
handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled, which is basically just depicting how the Antichrist and how his his cronies, his henchmen, will devour the very uh, anti-God, the very pagan culture that they themselves cultivated and nourished, but then would turn around and devour it. But it's also comforting uh, just to recognize that God does not let this sit. He does not let this injustice go unaddressed. It took time. It didn't happen immediately. God didn't just strike Abimelech down. Uh, but in fact, God destroys the destroyer of his people, this one who is destroying Israel from within. And this was not all Israel. This was happening in just a part. But it was like a cancer working within Israel that was just degrading the country and dragging it down. God destroys those who destroy his people. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So we recognize what Abimelech is doing. It should give us pause in how we how we treat the church, how we act in the church, what we do in and for, and sometimes maybe even against the church. Uh, he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Well, that's exactly what Abimelech was doing. Well, we recognize that God's judgment is at work. It may be quiet. We may not see it. We also recognize that God's judgment is often ironic. Evil has a way of destroying itself. We're also comforted to recognize that God does not let those off the hook who are enemies of and work to destroy his people. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this chapter, a long chapter, a lot going on here. And yet, in many ways, Lord, a sad chapter because of just the the depths to which Israel has sunk and what's going on in it and just the wickedness. But, Father, encouraging in that you address it, that you don't just let that go. Father, in our own day, we know that there are those certainly outside the church and even within uh, that bring harm to your people. Father, we pray you would protect us. Father, we pray we would not be like Israel and Abimelech and, uh, and treat wrongly those who have done good. But, Father, we pray in all that you will preserve and protect your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.